Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. I wanted this time to talk about conceiving systems as financial instruments. So for any system, be it a tree, a horse, a factory, a ship, a justice system, a hospital, a hydroelectric power station, I can think of it or conceive of it in terms of money, in terms of finance. What are its the costs of running it? What money does it generate? I can also think of these systems in terms of the physical, you know, what equipment is needed, what machinery is needed. I could think of them in terms of people, what people are involved, how do people interact. I could see it as a social system. I'm not sure quite how I'd do that with a horse or tree unless I was looking at the the life of bacteria or something. But for a larger human system, like a hospital or a power plant, I could look at it in terms of people interactions, take a social perspective. I could look at it in terms of its innovative capability. But what I want to do here now is look at it in terms of its financial income and expenditure. So I'm talking about seeing a system as being a financial instrument. It has inputs and outputs and it transforms. So with a horse that would be what does it cost to sort of feed and keep it? It changes that into energy or uh, some sort of sports or entertainment, or maybe it pulls a cart, and that's the output you get. And it earns money with those outputs. So I could say it costs this to run, and it 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 produces this much money, this much income. So I... I almost get a profit and loss account or an income and expenditure account for every item, for every system I can think of. I could draw up a, if you like, a profit and loss account. Obviously for a factory, this is much more straightforward, but it's also true of a hospital. I could say it cost me this to run it and I get this sort of income from it. I mean, in a government-run hospital, that income would be from government grants. In a private hospital, that would be from charging customers. But I could see a university as a financial instrument. That is, I get government grants, I get student fees, I spend them on lecturers and administration and uh, buildings, and hopefully these expenditures don't exceed the incomes I get. I could change that income into a percentage, so... For every dollar invested, what sort of return do I get? Some sort of yield from the investment. So if you're a financier, you could look at, say, universities or power plants or factories or horses or, or trees and forests and say, if I, what's the yield on each of these? If I put in so much money, how much money will I get? And being able to compare them of different sizes, you'd focus on the percentage return, the yield from each thing. So that's, that becomes exactly the same as 
know, if I put money in the bank and I get a 5% return, if I put money, invest in money in a, in a university or a power plant or a factory, what percentage return do I get? So you can reduce everything to this yield or percentage return. So every system, be it a justice system, a horse, a tree, a factory, can be seen in terms of its yield. How much money does it return as an investment? You might be tempted to think, well, there's some things that don't offer a financial return. But if you're adamant to think in terms of financial returns, then you would value things. So if I buy a forest, you might say, well, there's no financial return to that. But somebody else could say, there is potentially, because if I keep it for a while and sell it, I can make money, or I could make it a tourist attraction, or I could cut it down for firewood, or I could charge people for the oxygen that comes out of it or something. So quite often, what you might consider to be community or social benefits do get valued and can therefore still be treated as a financial instrument. Take the roads, for example. You invest so much time and money in roads and you get the return of economic development. Perhaps a difficult calculation, but still sort of possible. And if there was a dangerous spot on your road where accidents occurred, you could still look at that accidents as a financial instrument. How much do I have to spend in order to save how many lives? If I spend a million dollars, would I save five lives? So I can, again, reduce things to financial amounts. Saving somebody's life is enabling them to earn a certain amount of money or the community to earn a certain amount of money during the rest of their life. So again, saving a life can be valued if you want to do it like that. I don't really want to get into the morality of this, just to understand that it is possible to walk around the world seeing every system as a financial instrument, as having a potential financial yield, and then make decisions about which systems you're interested in based on that yield. Sometimes you'll have more control over that yield than on other occasions. So if you're simply investing shares in a company and you're treating that as a system and you you to say how much money do I put into it and how much money do I get out of it through the stock market, you don't have a lot of control. But if it's your factory, you're you're a manager of a plant of some sort or manufacturing plant of some sort, clearly you could talk about what has the return or the yield been historically, what would we like it to be, and what is our best estimate or forecast of what it's going to be. Again, the yield can be broken up into these three different things, but they will be rather dependent on how much control you have over things. If you have a fair bit of control, then you might say, this is the planned return. But if you feel you don't have a lot of control, you might say this is the forecasted return. Again, to be compared with historic return. Budgeting is uh, an example of a system designed to forecast the yield or return of some financial instrument. So typically, we take a budget of something like a manufacturing 
company, it would sort of say, these are all the sources of our income. If we have several products that we sell, this is the quantities we think we sell, this is the price we think we're going to sell them at, therefore this is the income we think we're going to get. And on the cost side, you can say, well, this is all the materials I'll need, all the labor I'll need, all the overheads I'll need, all the capital expense I'll need, and calculate what you believe that the, the profit will be, and then as a percentage, the yield or, or the return that the company will make. Now, again, typically you, you look at the historical figures, and if we go back to our hero, Oscar, if someone said to him, I need a budget for next year, what he would most likely do is look at last year or the last few years' figures to start with and say, I'll correct those for any sort of anticipated changes. And then I'll do this calculation of this is the income, these are the expenditures, both in quantity and price. And then therefore, this is the profit or yield that this financial instrument, this organization, this system will produce. Typically, if Oscar takes out all the figures from last year, he could contact all the responsible people, um, say like the purchasing manager or the production manager or whatever it is, and ask them if they believe this figure is going to change. Now, of course, you've got to understand that it is, a, in that sense, a forecasting exercise. So that if, in fact, the things don't go to plan, it might just simply be due to the fact you can't forecast very accurately rather than bad management performance. So, for example, if you say, well, we have to buy these steel bolts, we need this many of them next year, they cost this much. Now, it might be, of course, that you, you, know, you have some sort of breakdown, you don't need as many, or it might be that the price goes up or the price goes down. So, again, you've got to be careful, rather than run around and say, well, we didn't meet the plan, you'd have to ask yourself whether the plan which was really a forecast to some extent, um, was, was, was correct, or whether it simply needs correcting. So you can imagine a situation where you've got a, something like a head office, um, let's say in America, where there's a, a worldwide franchise, be it for Coca-Cola or Heinz, Baked Beans or McDonald's. And so the head office every month will get a report to say, we have these thousands or so of, of organizations. We've put this much money into them. They've returned this much. This is what we plan to get. This is what we've actually got. And there's a, there's a variance. There's a, a deviation from the plan, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. And based on that, based on treating every one of these factories worldwide as a financial instrument, they could say, well, we're going to close that one or we're going to you know, expand that one or whatever. It would give the appearance of control, albeit through one lens, through the money lens, on paper to a head office a long way away from the action. It is possible to see a social or development side to budgeting. There's a phrase... Budgeting Without Borders, which is meant to be analogous to Doctors Without Borders. And this is part of the, the theory, the, the, the thinking, that 
financial control, economic develop, economic control, economic development will lead to social, medical, and and cultural development. So if we take a village in a remote community, it could sit down and say, these are our sources of income. We make money from this and this and this in the village or, or in the community. We spend it on this, this and this. And, and everybody could sit down. It's a transparent process. And people could see where the money comes from or goes to. This sort of transparency of financial arrangements so people could understand and even discuss what are alternative ways of cutting down on our expenses, what are alternative ways of, of getting more money. So a community might get money from taxes. It might charge people for something using a piece of land or whatever. So that might be the sources of income. It, a community might offer tourist attractions or it might sell paintings or something um, as a source of income. And then it could say, well, we're going to spend it on new roads and houses and, and that sort of thing. When you're worried about corruption or you're worried about poor management or people misspending the money, to have a transparent open budgeting system is very important for the development of that community. So even at a national first world level, you think about the Australian government, for example, every year it's required to get up and say, this is where all the money came from, taxes, and this is where it all went, and it has to be audited and publicly announced. Any changes from one year to the next have to be announced, discussed and voted upon. It's a transparent, open accounting system designed largely to cut down on corruption and to justify and explain what happened to the taxpayers' money. So the nas- you can have national budgeting at a national level, which is very important, I think, for economic development of, of a, a region or a country. Or you go right down to personal budget. You could say, right, this is the money I make, this is what I'm going to spend it on. Especially, say, say you retire and thinking, well... What do I spend money on? How much do I spend on electricity and the rates and a car and food and and whatever expenses come up? Look through all the bills for the last year and say, right, and what's my income? And I could do a little spreadsheet and say, yes, uh, you know, I can put a little bit aside here and, and I can get by. Rather than just waiting for some sort of financial shock or chaos to occur. I have worked in companies some time ago that didn't run a budgeting system. All that happened was they just spent money and and money came in. At the end of the year, the accountant sort of added it all up, which often took months to do, and and sort of declared, oh, we made this profit or we made this loss. And the joke used to be that the chief executive's office, he had one drawer with champagne in it and the other drawer a list of people who were going to be fired. Depending when the accounts came in, which was six months after the end of the year, suddenly you open one drawer or the other, depending on those results. You'd argue this wasn't very good control. That there wasn't very much accountability for the financial matters. It was a poor way to manage a financial instrument. Better to have some sort of anticipation. We expect to spend this much. We plan to spend this much on these things. Unfortunately, some organizations, especially larger organizations, public sector organizations, so they have a budgeting system. We get this much from the government. We allocate it to departments like this. 
And if people don't spend it, then when we allocate it to another department. So you hear departments say, we need to spend this money or else we're going to lose it, which is obviously a bit of a stupid thing to do. Um, so you get funny gaming behaviours when monies are allocated. It's the same as saying to salesmen, so in the budget you must sell 100 widgets a week. And once they've sold 100 widgets, they stop trying because they say, well, I've met my budget. So there are gaming or adverse effects to planning. People can reach the plan and then not try any harder. and It sort of kills it, any incentive. There is a useful boundary issue with budgeting. Because if you say, I'm going to budget for this system, for this community, for this plant, for this department, you have to draw a boundary on it. And sometimes you have to be very careful that you don't distort things by doing that. So there was an example of a, a freezer company, a company who kept cold stores and meat was kept in this cold store. And so they would do a budget on this and say, well, this is what it costs to run this cold, cold store and this is what we get from our customers for holding their stuff in cold store for you know, overnight or whatever it is or for, for two weeks or months or whatever. It's a sort of a warehouse for, for things that need to be frozen. And, and yet in this particular case, this company used the freezing capacity that it had to adjacently or next door to the frozen store to run an ice ring and let people come in and have recreation and skate around on this ice ring. Now, when the budgets were drawn for separately for the two operations, they both showed a loss. But if when, in fact, you added them together as a budget centre, one of them, say the cooler operation, could show a profit, the ice ring could show a loss. But if you close down the ice ring, you, you'd take away a, a, the profit from the coals store because it, its costs would go up or it, it would uh, be, be getting less income. So sometimes you get two departments that, that need to be considered together as a budget centre rather than broken up separately. This is a boundary issue and there can be all sorts of problems if you're not careful about what your boundary is. Maybe a more straightforward example then is, is take a, a community or a village saying, OK, this is what we mean by the village. We include this, we don't include that. People will have personal income. We say we don't include that. We're only including all the things, the income from community assets. Increasingly in the modern world, there aren't many community assets, but in some traditional villages... There, there are, and people pay to use these community assets, or they get some financial benefit from these community assets. Suffice to say uh, that when you're budgeting and saying, this is my system, you need to be very careful of what the boundary is, what was included in that system. So this financial instrument is just these things, it's not these things. That can be a harder, harder issue than you think. Another advantage of having something like budgeting as to control your financial instruments is the issue of responsibility. If you sort of say, we go back to a manufacturing example, if you sort of say, well, 
we need this many metal bolts at this price. And you can sort of say to the purchasing manager, you're responsible for making sure we get that many bolts at about that price. Then you, you've got some sort of sense of responsibility. You can go through all the costs and incomes and you allocate people to it and say, that issue, that sales figure, that cost figure, that overheads figure, that labor figure is your responsibility. It's a very powerful, I think, to have people clearly understand their responsibilities in the success of this financial instrument. You would be wise, of course, to have some sort of constant comparison going on. So you're saying, well, this was our planned profit or our budgeted profit. This is what's actually happened this month. A bit of a sort of, why do you think it's, it's they're not the same? Why is there a variance between what we wanted and what's happened? Uh, should we change something? Should we change the plan? Should we change our behavior? And so you can use the plan figures as a comparison with what's actually going on. If you're not doing a budget, you do this just historically. You'd say, historically, I've been getting 7% of this thing. I'm now getting 5%. Should I get rid of it? Is it temporary? Comparisons provides a control. Just as a sort of a bit of a recap, we can see any system as a financial instrument. If we treat it as a whole and it has a yield and we have no control over it, then it's a bit like investing in the stock markets. You know, something gives me a yield, and I can think of any system, a horse, a university, a community, a manufacturing plant, a hydroelectric plant as a system, as a financial instrument. If I want more control, and I have can get more control, and I want more detail, I might flesh out that fine instrument into a budget, and a budget says, these are all our sources of income. This is where our money is spent. I compare the two. I could do this as a sort of plan or a forecast for next year and then compare that to what actually happens. And that gives me some sort of transparency, control or information feedback to see how my financial instrument is going. However, it's always important to remember that this is just one view of the organization. As I say, it's, you're seeing everything, a community or a university, as a monetary exchange process rather than being a social process or a knowledge creation process or a lifestyle or something. It is a one-eyed view of your system, albeit increasingly these days, a very popular way of seeing any system. Moving on a little bit and, and trying to make connections here, most people would do their budgets or do their financial instruments returns on a, a bit of a spreadsheet to see what's going on, to show historical figures compared to actual figures or some of the details broken down. So we then move into, if you like, the, of what might be called financial modelling, which is a very sim similar concept, isn't it, to financial instruments. We can put them on a spreadsheet and say, what if this happens, or what if I do that? And a budget's the same sort of thing. You can put, put it in a spreadsheet and say, if we made more of these and sold more of those, would we cover our overheads? You can run simulations. You can model what's going to happen. 
So we have a financial model that is therefore fairly similar to, say, a, a model of the climate or a, a model of the stocks and flows of a, of a factory or a warehouse. Um, we get people who do models of all sorts of things. They, they model the, you know, the trajectory of spaceships or planets. Um, I think weather models are the, the topic of the day, but you can have financial models as well, which you simulate and create data from. So this brings up the whole issue of what are models and are they any use and what are the dangers and opportunities of models. Again, I, I think it's very important to understand that it's a one-eyed view because you've had to quantify things and therefore there's certain factors that, that will be dropped out. So in a community, you might say, well, this community... Um, only breaks even, we should close it down or something. And people say, well, but it's our life. There's more to it than just the financial dimensions. So just need to remember that it is a one-eyed view of the world. The other thing is that all models have to be built on some assumptions. Uh, this uh, critique comes up very much with weather models, of whether they have included things or not included things. Usually the test of a model is... Can it predict what happened historically? So if I put uh, data in this model and ask it to, to predict something, can it in fact predict the past? Is it accurate in that sense? This is how we would test a model. Clearly with something you know, like the weather or the economy, it is so incredibly complicated, largely due to interaction effects, that it it becomes almost impossible to produce an accurate model. People have tried very hard to build models of the economy, um, and they, they turn out to be very inaccurate. You've got the uh, American army trying to build a model of the Mississippi River to stop flooding. Been doing this with a lot of money and time for many years, and they've, they've not been very successful. Modeling it can be very, very difficult to get it right. Uh, things change. It, it's a very imperfect way of doing things. Now, often building the model teaches you a lot about the system, but I think you have to be very careful not to suddenly say the model tells the truth and we must listen to it and stop thinking. Classic case of the Black-Scholes model for investment. People thought this was a wonderful piece of maths. Stop using their common sense about investments. And a lot of people got badly burnt when the model turned out not to be able to handle a particular sequence of events. A model plane is not an aeroplane. If I model the inside of an aeroplane, it's still not an aeroplane. It's a, an imperfect, one-eyed view of reality. And whilst a useful exercise for learning, you've got to be very careful it doesn't stop people from thinking. My experience with models of production in a very large factory where the computer model would, it was hoped to, tell managers on a complicated shop floor what machines to start up and run and, and how many subcomponents to make today and put them together, uh, it became very unpopular with the managers because 
the, the senior staff wanted the model to be the boss that told everybody what to do. And, of course, if it made the slightest mistake or there was a things changed slightly or went out of date, that people would use it very quickly to say it's a dreadful model. When the management turned things around and, and said, when you're planning what to make today, here's a spreadsheet, put in all the facts, and it'll help you do some calculations, the computer was much more useful. So it, as long as the modeling is done as a servant of human activity, of human thinking, I'm thinking about doing this, put in the model, it says what about this. Even if you think of the those 3D software for designing rooms and buildings and architecture, I'm thinking of doing this. Someone's saying, well, you need a bigger beam or the beam won't go through that wall or something. That's the right way to use a model rather than say, please model, build me a house or um, tell me what production to produce or save me from thinking is definitely not the way you use a model. That includes budgeting and understanding financial instruments. Okay, so for your organization or community, can you think of it as a financial instrument and itemize what the income and expenditures are for it, what it yields, and then compare that to other similar organizations or departments or communities? Think of your system strictly in terms of cash flows. If you're looking for some references or further reading, uh, you could really, for budgeting, I would just look under management accounting. There's a lot of textbooks that students have suffered over the years. There'll be a lot of work on YouTube as well, and the government puts out a lot of stuff on budgeting because of its, uh, its sort of social impact. If you look up financial instruments, you'll get a very strict definition. I am using it more as a metaphor here than in its strict meaning. My own books, uh, Profit Forecasting, Clua, and Management Accounting and Modelling Approach, talk about the profit model. They tend to be fairly quantified. If you look on Wikipedia under the profit model, you get some sort of indication of how you could use algebra to develop a spreadsheet model. However, don't lose sight of the point I'm trying to make, the general point, that you can see any system as, as a cash flow, as a, as a money in and a money out. And that's a useful perspective, but it's not the only perspective. Perhaps a, a, one that engineers might struggle with a little bit. Thank you very much.